we'll start back into some scripture we were looking at uh, the other night. In Hebrews chapter 2, we read this uh, Sunday night, and we treaded out in some uh, some water. I won't, I won't say whether it was deep or wide or how it was, but we treaded out in a little water Sunday night. But Hebrews 2.14 says, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that hath the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who their fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. Wherefore, in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people, for in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he's able to succor them that are tempted. And Brother Jim uh, Wickens spoke a little bit about the word destroy. And the word destroy means to render inoperative, abolish. And when you get in looking at this word in your, um, if you do a word uh, study of it, it means rendering something inert, completely inoperative, being of no effect, totally without force, completely brought down, done away with, calls to cease, and therefore abolish, make invalid, bring to naught, to make idle or inactive. And you can go on and on and on. So when Jesus came on the scene in, in the day, his days in the earth, when he appeared or was manifested, as we read in 1 John 3, to destroy the works of Satan, everywhere he went, through the power of his word, he would make the devils, demons, spirits, inoperative. So whatever condition they had been involved with or created or whatever manner that was, Jesus made them inoperative. And at the cross, he destroyed him that had the power of death, that is the devil. So, so he brought it to a finality. Now, Christians have fought the devil much of their Christian life. They have been in a concept or had an idea that being a Christian means we are constantly at war with the devil. And what we should be at instead of at war with the devil is the knowing of Christ. Not telling you there's not a devil. I'm not telling you 
that the devil won't create bad situations? I'm not saying that. Okay. What I'm telling you is Jesus completely brought the devil's kingdom to you and I, the believer, to an end. Doesn't mean the devil can't influence us. Doesn't mean acts of the world can't influence our lives. But multiple places in, in the scripture says that, that he brought it to an end. He, he destroyed it. So we have to acknowledge that. As believers, we have to come to a place somewhere where we acknowledge that our enemy has been cast down under our feet. Now, there's a lot of teachings about the enemy, a lot of ideas about the enemy. And, and, and I'll be honest with you, I, I, I asked the Lord, I'd like the Lord to really bring clarity to us on the devil. Okay, I think clarity in the body of Christ would be very, very beneficial. I think clarity on God, the nature of God, would be very, very beneficial. I think the clarity on God would outweigh the clarity on the devil, but, but to bring hearts and minds to a realization that Jesus finished the work that God gave him to do, and he brought us into a finished work. Now, as I say this, we're going to work our way back into 1 Corinthians 15, where we waded out in some water here in a little bit. But before we do that, in Ephesians 1, Ephesians 1, verse... Um, I don't know where to start here. I want to get to verse 10, but start verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all, notice the word all, spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Okay. That's a big word, all. And notice that he has past tense. According as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will. Notice that again, having, according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one here it is again, all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him, 
in whom we have obtained an inheritance, have obtained. Being predestinated according to the purpose of him, the work of all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be to the praise of his glory, who first trusted in Christ. So you could say verse 12 is the goal, that we should be to the praise of his glory, who first trusted in Christ. Before Jesus came, there was no pathway to this goal. Okay. I couldn't get there. My pathway to be to the praise of God's glory would be to perfectly keep the law. And even in perfectly keeping the law, I still don't believe I would be to the praise of his glory. Okay. And so we have framed in our mind ideas of what these things are. Okay. So, so God's goal toward us is his glory. Okay. That's God's goal. Christ in you is the expected or expectation of glory, the hope of glory. So God's goal is that we would be to the praise of his glory. Jesus says in John 17, that they may behold my glory. So if I can hear that, we are made one with him in order that we behold his glory. Now I've got to hear that. His glory. The glory I have, I've given you, he says. I in them, thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one. So for me to be made perfect, Christ has to be in me and God in Christ. Okay? Now that's kind of the order that's set forth in John 17. And I must behold his glory. And that word beholds a big deal. And I'm going to say something to you. And you can test it. Uh, and the Lord can change my heart and mind. I'm not against God changing my heart and mind on anything. I'm really not. Because I want to know the truth. When beholding his glory, Christians, for the most part, all over the earth, unfortunately, are not sitting around 
saying, let's behold the glory of the Lord. They're not even considering that. You know, I grew up with the idea that glory was glory land. And over in glory land, you know, all these wonderful things were going to happen. Now, that's how I grew up. Things are projected out in front of us as a day, a day in front of you, a day somewhere ahead. Everything's going to finally come to its culmination. And there's all different kinds of doctrines and teachings of what that looks like. Okay. Now I'm going to point you back to Ephesians 1. God gathered up some things. No. God gathered up all things in Christ. So everything that I may should be looking for may be in him. Okay. And that really may be the issue where I look. If I'm looking for Jesus and I'm trying to understand, or my desire is to understand the things of God out of Him, I may actually find them. If I look somewhere else, given that all things are in him, probably not going to find them. Okay? So Paul says, or the writer of Hebrews says, I say Paul, but whoever wrote Hebrews says, those who look for him shall he appear. The second without sin but unto salvation. We've been dealing with him appearing in the first, being manifest in the first. But those that look for him, shall he appear the second? Okay. How does he appear in the second? I believe is the issue. And I believe that's the issue that we all need to hear from God in. Because there's all kinds of ideas, all kinds of teachings about his appearing, about his coming, and how he's coming. Something the Lord, I believe the Lord, really quickened in my heart, was Jesus speaking to I believe it was the high priest or to the Jews in one place said, hereafter you shall see the son of man coming in the glory of his father. Okay. And I may be combining a couple different places together because he spoke to them of the coming of the son of man in glory in the gospels. Now, what hit my heart one day as I was considering that scripture, what was the glory of God in the Old Testament? 
And what hit my heart was God's glory would come in a cloud and a fire, and it ultimately filled the tabernacle and then the temple. So to me, I'm saying this to me, when Jesus made that statement, hereafter you shall see the Son of Man coming in the glory of his Father, hereafter you shall see me coming in the glory of my Father. If I was a high priest of Israel, and I did not believe he was the Christ, I would probably have said he's committing blasphemy or something, like they did. They did that, right? That's what they said of Jesus a number of times. Because he would have been declaring to them, I'm going to come and fill that house with glory, my glory. Okay? Because they associated the glory of God with God's presence in the house where they went to worship. Jesus is saying, I'm going to feel, I'm coming in the glory of God, of the Father. Well, okay. Now, that's what he did. But the house he filled was not an old covenant house. It's the house of God that he said, destroy this temple in three days. I will raise it again, speaking of his body. It's the house of God, you and I, who are sitting here, and all over the globe, people that have the Spirit of Christ, they are the house of his glory. Now, what happens if I behold his glory? If I begin to look at his glory, according to Paul, we are changed into the same image by beholding the glory of God. We can all agree the scripture says that. That into the same image you and I are changed by beholding the glory of God. So the glory of God is now in a person who ascended back on high. He ascended back on high that he might come and fill us. That's why he ascended back on high, that he could fill us. Now, again, I'm going to preface it this way. This is my view on this. And, and if you don't disagree with me, that's all right. We're, we're, I love you, okay? Jesus, in my view, was not a flesh and blood man in heaven before he came. He was spirit. God is spirit. Okay? 
That's my view. God is spirit. John said he was the word. The word was with God. And the word was God. So when Jesus ascended back into glory, he ascended back into what he was, which would be the Father's glory. But what would be different than when he came out of that glory into being a man is he ascended back with the work he had done in himself and took it back into God. So in his ascension, he came back or went back in a finished work. Everything he had done at the cross, he took back into God. That's how the Spirit applies everything Christ did at the cross in you and I, because it's in the Spirit, because he's in the Spirit. Okay? I believe with all my heart the Lord showed me that. I believe that with all my heart. That God himself revealed that to me. What if you see me ascend up to where I was before? The flesh profiteth nothing. It is the spirit that quickeneth. The words that I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. And in his ascension was back to where he was before. And now that he's back to where he was before, all the work of Christ is in the omnipresent God. That's how people all over the globe meet Jesus. People all over the globe, when they get born again, they call him by name. They know who he is. I bet people tell me, Jesus came into my heart. They, they use his name. Jesus came to me. Okay. Now he's come to me not as the man of Galilee. Okay. Now I believe all my heart he was the man of Galilee. See, I believe that 100%. I don't want to take anything away from that because I believe he was born in a manger. I believe he's, or he, was, he was birthed of Mary. She was a virgin. I believe, honey, I really believe this. But before Abraham was, I believe he was I am. If you do not believe that I am, he said to the Jews, you shall die in your sins. Now the I am was omnipresent. When Jesus came as a man, he wasn't omnipresent. Was he? He was the man of Galilee. When he ascended as Christ Jesus the Lord, he is omnipresent. 
That's how people all over the globe meet Jesus and know him by name. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. So, so when I go back here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, where we were the other night, and I told you I waded out in some deep water, or water, whether it's deep or wide or long or however it is, it says, but now Christ, verse 20, has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. And upon this foundation, Christ being raised from the dead is our salvation. If he's not raised from the dead, we're not saved. But not only is that the foundation of our salvation, his resurrection is our salvation. Because by him, through him, and in him, we're raised from the dead. You and I are. Everybody on this broadcast, on this Zoom meeting, who has received Christ Jesus the Lord, are raised from the dead. Now, Paul says here, for since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. So in Adam, all die. Through Adam, death passed upon all men. This is in Romans 5. For as in Adam, all die, so also in Christ, all will be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits. After that, those who are Christ at his coming. Now, the way this is worded here, to me, again, I'm, I'm going to stress this to me, it's a little confusing. Because I can read like I did other night in First John that says I'm already alive. I'm already living. I've already, John says I've already passed from death to life. It's what John says. Read John's epistle and he'll tell you, you've already passed from death to life. Now, here's how, in my opinion, this again is my opinion, here's how you pass from death to life. He come to you. <laughs> You're raised at his coming. You're raised from Adam where death is at the coming of the Lord. That word coming there means presence, perusia. That's what it means. It's a Greek word, perusia, and it's presence. And I believe there's about five different words that are interpreted, coming, appearing, and so forth, maybe six, in your Bible. They don't all mean the same thing. So he came to you. He came to me. He sure came to my house. And he sure got into my heart. Now, I didn't really get a hold of his presence when he first did that. I got a hold that he was in me. But I wasn't so in tune and aware of his presence. Because I was looking for, I go back to what I said earlier, I was looking for somebody else. 
I wasn't looking at him that had come. I was looking somewhere else. I was looking at what people were telling me. Okay. I believed what a lot of people told me. I, I had doctrines. And I tried to figure out things by what people told me. One of the best things ever happened to me in my life is God challenged me on a Tuesday night many years ago. And he spoke to me and he says, who am I? And my doctrines kind of went out the door when he did that to a degree. I started trying to form new ones after that. Because <laughs> you're always trying to form things yourself but he came to me now like i said i wasn't so in tune and aware of his presence i knew i would say jesus is in me and I, and every christian you'll go to will say if they're a christian jesus is in me christ is in me but they may not be aware of his presence because he begins, if we allow him, he'll begin to appear. He that has come to you will begin to appear by the Spirit of God. And that's what Jesus even said. Jesus said, I go away and the world doesn't see me anymore, but you will see me. He says, the Spirit will take of me and will show me to you or show mine unto you. And that's what the light and illumination is when we're illuminated, when we're given light and understanding, when we see the nature of God, all these things are the appearing of Christ because he is all things. That's what, that's what Paul wrote in Ephesians 1. In him, God shows all things to dwell in him. So he is all things. He gathered up all things in him. All right. so. Now that I come to that, and he that has all things is in me, now what do I do? I look for him. I set my affection, as Paul said, up on him. That's what Paul said. Not up on a day out in the future, but up on him that now lives in me and you. That's what we do. And he that now lives in me and you, Paul said, Paul writes this to the Colossians that Christ is in you in Colossians 1, and, and we went through a teaching on this. And then he says that Christ, who is our life, shall appear. And if I just reason that out, now that word there is not the same word here as appear or come. Here we're look, looking at coming. That word there is phanero, made manifest. So when Christ who is in, when Christ is made manifest, you will be manifest with him. Well, you should be. You know why? Because you're in him. And he's in you, according to the Bible. Not making this up. According to what Jesus said, he was going to be in us. We were going to be in him. That's what he said. So Christ is in me, and I'm in Christ. Now the Christ that is in me and that I'm in Christ appears. 
and I see him by the Spirit of God. I begin to know him by the Spirit of God. And through that, my mind is changed, renewed. My soul is transformed. And I begin to know the new creation that I am in Christ through him. Okay? Now, here in, just, just bear with me a few more minutes. As an atom all dies, so in Christ all will be made alive, but each his own order, Christ the first fruits. All right. Christ was the first fruits from the dead. He was the first one raised from the dead. Now he physically came out of the dead. Okay. He's raised from that tomb, came out of that tomb, showed himself alive to his disciples. You and I, though, are raised at his coming. Okay. We're not raised out from the dead till he comes. That's why you have dead men still out here in the earth. You have a lot of Christian teaching trying to say, well, they're all saved. Well, there's a problem with that. He's life. So if I don't have life in me, see, see, it's what the definition of salvation is. Salvation is life. Christ is life. So life comes into me. I never had life. When life come into me, now I have life, and he's the life I have. He's the resurrection I have. See, we're looking for another resurrection besides him. He raises us out from the dead, and we become the body of him. Okay? To me, being the body of Christ is a glorified body. I know some people may disagree with me, but they, and that's okay. That's okay, but he's glorified. He's glory, and if I'm a member of his body, I'm in a glorified body because it's his body. Now, I still have a body, a flesh body, but I'm in the body of Christ. I'm not only in it, I'm a member of it, and that body is glorified. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. And Jesus coming into me brings an end. See, then comes the end. Till he comes in me, I can't come to the end. <laughs> Get a hold of that. You can't come to no end. See, again, we're trying to predict an end by an end of days. Someday out here's an end. He brings the end that he executed on Calvary into you. He executed an end at Calvary at the end of the age. Hebrews 9 said he appeared, glory to God, to do away with sin. And now that end is comes to your house because the one that executed the end, I couldn't execute the end. I couldn't make it happen. But Jesus could. He came and did it. And he brings the end to me. Okay? The end of all things are at hand. What does that mean? I, I'll give you two views of this end. That came. The end of the law. He didn't destroy the law. He fulfilled it. 
Okay. The end of the old man. Old man's dead and put away, is he not? The end of what? The end of the age? That period of time's gone. A day ain't ever coming back in God's mind. Now, we try to bring it back. We try to bring all that over into the new, but it won't go. Now, the other end he brought, like I said other night, that word end can also mean aim, purpose, and goal. He brought God's goal to you. Did he not? He chose you in Christ before the foundation of the world, but you're out here, according to Ephesians 2, walking after the course of darkness, not in Christ. To what Ephesians 2 said, before he came to your house, what were you walking in? Passions and lust of flesh. The dictates of your mind. But now, in Christ Jesus, you that were far away, Paul says, are made nigh. He says in, in Ephesians 2, by grace you've been saved, you've been quickened with him, raised with him, and seated with him. That's what he says. Now, what's there for me to do? Know him. See, this, this is the simplicity of the gospel. What's here for us to do is to know Christ. Now, while that's the simplicity of the gospel, in him dwells all things. So knowing Christ isn't this little thing that, well, I know Jesus, he's in my heart. <laughs> no, I got to know him in all things. I got to know him in fullness. I got to know the length, the depth, the breadth, and the height of God that's in Christ. That's what I got to know. Now that's at hand. That has come. Doesn't mean I'm walking in it. When I make these statements, it doesn't mean I'm walking around glowing in the dark. But it's in us. The reason it's in us, he is in us. And we are the body of him. And if we could ever get Christians to believe that, you are the body of Christ. Those aren't just words written. They're not positional words. that People taught them as well, that's a position. No, by one spirit, you've been baptized into one body. Paul says you have put on Christ. That's not a position. Paul says that has happened by the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God doesn't just say, Brother Jimmy Lewis is in this position. The Spirit of God, by his power, puts Brother Jimmy Lewis into this. Because there's no other power that could do that but God. So God's own power operating in us moves us out of darkness into light. Now, one, one last thing I want to say about this. There's a lot I want to say about it, but one more thing I'm going to say tonight about it is in 
Here it says, then comes the end whenever he hands over the kingdom to the God and Father, when he's abolished all rule and all authority and power, for he must reign till he have put all enemies under his feet, the last enemy that shall be destroyed. That's the same word rendered inoperative that we read in Hebrews, uh, Hebrews 2, is death. He rendered the devil inoperative, according to Hebrews 2. He destroyed him, according to Hebrews 2. For he hath put, says, for he hath, past tense, put all things under his feet. But now when he saith, all things are put under him. That word saith means to bring word. Speak, say, by word or writing. When all things are put under him. It is manifest that he is accepted, which did put all things under him. And when all things shall be subdued unto him, then shall the son also be subject unto him that put all things under him, that God may be all in all. Now, now here's what I want to make a statement on. God may be all in all. God was always all. I think everybody out here believes God was always all. But I want you to catch this close. That God may be all in you all. In all. Not just all in. You, you know, people say, well, he's all... You've heard people say, well, God's in the trees, he's in the mountains, he's in this, he's in that. No, 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 no. That God may be all, all that God is, in all. You and I. <laughs> Get a hold of this. Till the work of Calvary, God was already all. God was already all-knowing. God was already all-seeing. God was all, all you can go and read about God. He was all powerful, almighty. Every, every attribute he's, that's declared of him, he already was. But he wasn't all those things to you and I. Now through the personal Savior, Jesus Christ, God is all things in you all. That's, yes, he is all in all. Now, do I know all that he is? No. But all is in Christ. Please God that in him would dwell all fullness. It please, in him dwelleth the fullness of what? The Godhead, the deity, bodily. Now, I looked at that scripture for years just as the man of Galilee, and, and, I, and John tells us that Jesus had the spirit without measure. But I look at it in a little bit different light, or maybe additional light. Not only as the man of Galilee is the fullness of the Godhead there, the fullness of the Godhead is in Christ bodily. And Paul says, you are complete in him. 
So bodily, again, you're the body of Christ. So the fullness of the deity is in him, in the church. That's why he ascended upon high. Let me read one more scripture. I said, I'm going to read this one. I know I've been long other night. I'm long again tonight, but Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4, I got to do this and we will... We will stop for tonight at least, or try to. In Ephesians 4 says, verse 6, there's one God and Father of all who is above all, through all, and in you all. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens that he might feel all things. Here's how we come to the unity of the faith. Here's how we come to the perfecting of the saints. Here's how we edify the body of Christ, that he fills all things. Hallelujah. And in him dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And we are complete in him that fills all things. At that day, you will know, you shall know, I am in my Father. You are in me, and I am in you. Now, what's interesting, I'm just going to throw this out here, and you can search it out and see for yourself. If you study the Greek words here in 1 Corinthians 15, the word shall is used at least one time I remember, but I think more than once. When I look at the Greek words, I don't see shall. Okay, just telling you, I'm not, I'm not a Greek scholar, but I have dug through these words piece by piece by piece. Okay. I really have. I actually have them broken down. I'll share it with you how, how far I've got breaking them down. And a tool I use a lot is Bible Hub. Bible Hub has a tremendous amount of research tools on it to do word studies, to get into the word studies, see how they've been interpreted in different places. But more than that, what they mean, it'll give you the root word, what comes out of them. And I use it often. Now, I wasn't going to put this on the meeting. I was just going to talk to you afterwards. But if people watch this, I, I, I encourage people to search it. But I don't encourage you to make your uh, finality on a subject by searching it. I, I, that's part of it. But your finality is by the Spirit of God revealing Christ in you. To me, Jesus is victorious over all things. 
and we're his body. And what we're learning is his victory. I think, I think sometimes while we, we want to know our victory over death, well, his victory over death is our victory over death. Through him, we live. By him, we live. In him, we live. And if we know his victory over death, we do know our victory over death, because when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is, because we're his body. We're one spirit. We're joined to the Lord. Glory to the Lamb of God. Well, I'll stop there tonight, and we'll dive back in here probably again Sunday night, and uh, I'll start with Brother Delgren.